0: the objective to deliver the nba to you like no other news play breakdowns power rankings storylines you never hear talked about anywhere else it's all straight shots here fired by straight shooters s and gun this is the objective basketball podcast Hello, everyone. Welcome to the objective basketball podcast. No Lauren this week. She is off in Yellowstone Ranch with John Dutton. It is a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm not kidding, by the way. She you know what? I'm not going to give out her exact geolocation. That's kind of wild. But she's out there in the in the Montana, right? Uh, Montana, just chilling, hanging out, enjoying herself. I hope she has a splendid time. We are still talking basketball here on the Objective Basketball Podcast. We have an interview coming up with the Pistons Pulse Podcast, a really, really great interview about Monty Williams, how the hiring process went down, what to expect from the Pistons next season, and especially in the offseason, they have a very, very busy offseason coming up. They have the fifth pick, tons of cap space, a lot of things that the Pistons can do this summer. It is very, very exciting times for Detroit, but I have to start just a little bit to talk about Game 2 of the NBA Finals. The Miami Heat have tied up the NBA Finals. And, you know, so to speak, everybody says, hey, when the away win, uh, when the away team wins a home game or an away game, then that's a series. We've got ourselves an actual series, ladies and gentlemen. A lot of people have brought up the idea that, you know, the the Heat are just outmatched when it comes to this. And you know what? I think they are right. Yeah, the Heat are outmatched talent-wise, but they have been. We talked about this on the podcast earlier. They have been against the Bucs. They have been against the Celtics. Some could even argue they were against the Knicks, although I would disagree with you. But they still find ways to pull out wins. And this is what this Miami Heat team has done. At this point, nobody should be surprised that Miami is doing this. Um, they had some great, imp- great performances from their supporting cast last night. Uh, Max Struess came out and just shot the lights out at the start of the first quarter, which really helped set the tone for what the rest of the game was. They had great contributions from Gabe Vincent, who poured in 23 points. Duncan Robinson went on a 8-0, I, I believe it was an 8-0 or 10-0 run. I'm actually writing about him right now for the website, but he went on a 10-0 run in the fourth quarter in order to, you know, really set the tone for miami to pull off this victory i think he completely changed that game with what he did offensively and how he was getting himself downhill using the dribble handoffs with bam Adebayo to become a threat and becoming an active participant in what this heat offense is and i think that goes to that that kind of applies to every player on the heat rotation they are all active participants they are not shying away from the moment These guys will take the shots. They have, they, Miami has instilled such a level of confidence in all of these guys that they believe in themselves, that they are able to make these shots. Caleb Martin, who was dealing with the flu, had a massive three pointer in that fourth quarter to extend the lead for Miami. Um, Obviously, some people will bring up the shooting. It's a very, very fair point. The Heat shot 17 to 35 from three, 48.6%. That's a pretty, pretty good shooting night. Uh, but they've been doing this all postseason. And some people will bring up the shooting variance, um, the fact that Miami was one of the worst shooting teams in the league in the regular season. And now they are number one in the playoffs. To that, I say Miami was not playing up to their standards shooting wise and really everything wise in the regular season. This is not a real eight seed they are a very very pretend eight seed in the sense that their talent is it far exceeds what a usual eight seed is this is a team that was the number one seed in the east last year 150 plus games they were actually the best shooting team in the league last season and they have tons of shooting talent between max Strus, duncan robinson kyle lowry um even jimmy butler in in the playoffs kevin love can knock down shots I think to a certain extent, Caleb Martin has become become that guy for them in this postseason. So they have a lot of shooting talent, and I think it's just playing out the right way here in the playoffs. They're they're you know you do need a little bit of luck, you de- do need a little bit of you know shooting variance, so to speak, to go your way. But that doesn't mean that you're any less of a team. I think they've they've shown that they are just as talented uh, as any of these teams that they're facing. When it comes to the Nuggets. Uh, Nikola Jokic had an incredible de- game. I mean, he scored 18 points in the third quarter. Finished with 41 points uh, in Game Two. And I think what really a lot of people have brought up the the quote. I know what quote everybody is going to bring up: the whole Ramona Shelburne, uh, Ramona Shelburne, and uh, Eric Spolstra little tit for tat that happened in the post game press conference where Ramona Shelburne, Shelburne. Why am I messing up her name? Shelburne. Uh, the ESPN reporter was essentially asking, "Hey." are you guys trying to force Jokic to be a scorer or are you guys trying to limit him as a playmaker? And Eric Spolster really shunned the question, just said, this is this is to the untrained eye, the untrained eye. Um, and while I can see where Spolster is coming from, you're not trying to diminish what Jokic can do on the court. And you're also not trying to diminish what the Heat have done defensively to limit what Jokic can do. But at the same time, it is the game plan that they went with in game two. They were helping less. They were letting Jokic cook one-on-one more. Obviously, there were those possessions in the third, qu- third quarter where he absolutely destroyed Cody Zeller on multiple back-to-back possessions, and no one sent help. There wasn't a lot of help that they, they sent their way. I think that's a big aspect of how Miami is trying to limit what Jokic does in order to involve the rest of his teammates. Jokic does a great job of finding open, wide-open threes for KCP and for Michael Porter Jr. Last night... Michael Porter Jr., one of six. KCP, one of three. Together, they combined to be three of three of 12 from the field. So they had off shooting nights. And I think the defensive scheme, not being as aggressive on the help on Jokic, was a huge factor in all of this. It it, it played a big part. And I don't think it was fair for, for Spolstra to, to go that way when it came to Shelburne. But it is what it is from that point of view. I think defensively also, the zone of what Miami did in the fourth quarter to really make things difficult on Denver, just bothersome. Just make it a little bit muddy. And that's what Miami likes to do. They are trying to make things just 10% more difficult than what you would expect and hope that that is the the margin that can take them over the top. That's exactly what happened in game two. That zone defense in the fourth quarter really shifted it so that the Nuggets um, had to make quicker decisions. They had to force the issue a little bit on offense and it caused Miami to be this excellent juggernaut type of team on the offensive end they got defensive stops they went to they they went to the offensive side of the court and they executed with extreme poise miami is not a team to play with ladies and gentlemen they are not a team to play with at all i'm very very excited to see what happens in game three miami did their adjustment they started kevin love it it worked to a certain degree i think kevin love's size really really helped Um, and I'm curious to see how Denver adjusts. I think Michael Malone mentioned the effort level, but the effort level really wasn't there defensively for this team. They weren't in sync rotation wise on the defensive end. They were late to rotations. They were giving up wide open threes and that really helped Miami fuel their offense. We talk about 17 of what was it? 17 of 35 from behind the arc, but a lot of those shots were wide open. And Denver has to do a better job of getting out to shooters. That is without, uh, you know, it's it's 100% true that they have to really do a better job of limiting these these wide open shots. I mean, you're in the NBA finals. Effort level is very, very true. A lot of that has to do with with Michael Porter Jr., some of the other rotation guys, even Jamal Murray, uh, getting caught up in rotations and, and missing their rotations. So I think that's going to be a huge part of it. We'll see what happens in Game 3, how Denver adjusts in Miami. That'll happen on Wednesday night. We will recap and probably talk about it on Thursday. It should be fun. But ladies and gentlemen, enough talk of the NBA Finals. We will recap that on Thursday after Game 3 goes down, and we will see who takes a, a series lead here. I still think Denver will win in six. I still think it's a series that they are comfortable in. But Miami is not going to go out without a fight. They are not, and they showed that in Game 2, and I imagine they will continue to show that when the series shifts to Miami in Game 3 on Wednesday. So we will recap that, but let's go to our conversation with Pistons Pulse Podcast. It was great. We talked about Monty Williams, a lot of the other stuff that is, you know, around what the Pistons are doing this summer and then into next season, how who they're going to draft at fifth, why did the coaching change happen in general, How much do they feel as if Cade Cunningham is going to take a step next season? How does it look with Ivy and Cade? We answered a lot of questions, and I think there is a reason to be excited about the Detroit Pistons moving forward. And this podcast really, really showed this interview, I will say, really showed why there should be a reason to be excited if you're if you're a Pistons fan. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's get into that. Pistons pulse it's playoffs time or it is finals time. Get in the game and make your next bet with sports interaction bet before the game or live and play on all your favorite teams, matchups, head to sportsinteractioncom slash STPN or download the app to get started. 19 plus please play responsibly. I didn't expect to be talking about Detroit Pistons basketball in early June. It's usually a late June flex when we're talking about Pistons and, and everything that happens in the motor city. But we have some some very, very distinguished guests when it comes to covering Detroit basketball, when it comes to everything Pistons related. We have Bryce Simon, Omari Sankofa second, I got it. I got it. I got you, you by go. <laughs> the way. Uh, they are from the uh, Pistons Pulse podcast, mm-hmm. but they, they also do tremendous work, uh, I believe, with the Detroit Free Press, right, and, and, and SB mm-hmm. Nation. So th- a lot of tremendous work on the Pistons side of things. We have some news in, in Detroit world uh, for a lot of the people who might not know. Monty Williams inked, signed on, signed on the dotted line for a big number, by the way, um, that has, has kind of been there. There have been a bunch of numbers that have been reported when it comes to this. 672, six seventy two. There's potential to $100 million. Regardless, he's inked on and signed on long term to be the head coach of the Detroit Pistons. I guess I'll just open it up here for both of you guys. General thoughts on how this coaching hire process went down. Obviously, it was a lengthy one for you guys. Uh, Kevin Ollie was supposed to be the guy for like a month, and then that didn't happen. So how how do you guys feel about how this all shaked out? And yeah. I'll, I'll let you, I'll, which, whichever way you guys want to go. You guys are uh, podcast. Amari's, hosts.
1: Amari's yeah. the guy for this one because he's. <laughs> like, here's what everybody needs to know. I am the fan. I am a fan. I do work. I I, I, Omari, like he does, this is his job. Omari is not a fan. He is the beat writer, the beat reporter. Yes. He's in the know. So this question is definitely for Omari.
0: Yeah, hey, Bryce, Bryce you're short affair.
2: though. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. Bryce, you're not just a fan. Come on, you are Coach yeah, Bryce cool. Simon. Like you know <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: basketball. Like you, you've forgotten more basketball than most people have ever learned. So we're not going <laughs> to let you. We're not going to let you just call yourself a fan. Uh, but yeah, the coaching search. I mean, obviously, it started right uh, at the conclusion of the season when uh Dwayne Casey's final press conference of the season was I am joining the front office so uh almost two full months to land at Monty Williams and honestly I don't think the Pistons had Monty in mind when they began it because mm-hmm. he was still with the uh Phoenix Suns and he still had three years left on his deal after the extension last summer and you just simply don't go after a coach who uh isn't a successful area and still has years left on his deal uh but initially they had three finalists you had Jaron Collins assistant from New Orleans uh You know, Kevin Ali, who obviously was with UConn, and then Charles Lee. And I just don't think uh, Pistons, they couldn't just get over the hump, you know, with those three candidates. I think they have some question marks just about the experience and, you know, this and that. And then Mousey gets fired, and it's like, oh, okay, here's somebody we can all agree on. So, you know, it probably took probably a good three weeks from him being fired until the Pistons really sat down for formal offer. To bring him in and of course that was six years 78.5 billion uh with options for years seven and eight and you know with incentives and everything else i could get to above 100 billion which is the richest contract in nba history uh certainly yeah. speaks to you know just how highly regarded he was in the pistons organization uh, but also just you know what you're getting right like you saw what he did in phoenix Then with 19 wins he comes in uh they win 34 in a shortened season, you know, and then from there, I think they went 51 and they go to the finals and it's uh, just a very, very steep um, incline from the moment that he was hired and uh, Pistons coming off a 17 one year uh, in the same boat as Phoenix from four years ago. Uh, So, you know, it took, took a lot of dollars to get them in, but, you know, I think our parties obviously are happy with the arrangement and, you know, it'd be exciting to see, just what happens next season, right? You have K Cunningham coming back at fifth overall pick, Jaden Ivey, Jalen mm-hmm. Duren. You know you have a lot of stuff cooking, and um, you know Pistons certainly hope they can be the next Phoenix Suns and turn things around pretty quickly. So they got their
0: guy. It's exciting that just the way that you you kind of presented it. I'm I'm all on board when it comes to Pistons basketball, and, and you know Bryce knows this, but I have been a longtime admirer of what that core is uh, and what the potential for that core is. Bryce, I guess I'll ask you this. Uh, you know. Um, Omari, you mentioned it with Dwayne Casey moving into the front office almost immediately. And at least from my perspective, you know, obviously covering the Raptors, uh, seeing Coach Casey and, and being able to, you know, from from a bird's eye view, he was great as a developmental coach. I wonder with the Pistons still being in this stage of being young and youthful why do you guys feel like there was a need to to have that change and why is that change monty cuz to me it, i'm not going to say they're similar coaches but i in in a similar i guess uh developmental way they can they can kind of hit the same tone so i wonder why you guys feel like this is some kind of seismic change i understand why but just from your perspective
1: yeah i mean
0: yeah
1: i just i think a little bit I don't want to – like, it was time for a new voice. It was time for something new in a new direction and maybe some more offensive creativity. And I know that we're going to talk about that eventually and what Monty's doing. I've been watching a lot of that nineteen twenty Phoenix Suns team. Actually, the bubble games, which is crazy to watch the bubble games now, you know, a few years later. But I do think that it's important to keep Coach Casey in the organization. I thought that was really cool that he's going to be able to stay around because of what you've talked about just developing these young men and helping them grow and now he can do that from some role in the front office. Amari, I don't know if we've got the actual role or what the label is or whatever, but I do think that Dwayne Casey will be helpful there and then you bring Monty Williams who's going to do the same thing. And you know, now it came out today, Stephen Silas is joining as his top assistant. Yeah. Like there's just this this really nice flow of people within the organization in The front office, the coaching, and so Amari. I, I feel like maybe it just seemed like it was time to transition. This was the right offseason to make that move to somebody new that really grows with the young core now.
2: Yeah, I mean, Dwayne had been uh, with the team for five years. He initially signed a five year deal in 2018, and then he had a one year extension. Uh, but I guess e- even with that, it's like, okay, like what's like the long term play, right? Like you're going mm-hmm. to the, the final year, and the team's still in a rebuild, you haven't had that leap. Maybe you wanted to see last year with Kay getting hurt. So, like, kind of what's next? And I mean, Dwayne's been doing this a long time. He just decided for himself it's time to uh, step to a front office role. I think he'll be doing a lot of – I think he's doing a lot of scouting now, uh, you know, obviously with the draft and free agency coming up. And, I mean, somebody like him who's been uh, – uh, he had been an NBA assistant and head coach since the 90s. So, there's just a lot of knowledge that they can draw from there. And he has a great relationship with Tom Gores, the owner. So, uh, just a lot of mutual respect as far as that, but sometimes it's just time for a change. Uh, Dwayne even said it in his last press conference, it's just time for a new voice. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're a head coach for five years and uh, you're pretty much in rebuild mode for four of those years. I mean, you got, uh, you got to the playoffs year one with Blake and Reggie and those guys, and then injuries just completely decimated that team. Right. So, you know, Dwayne yeah. came in to a situation where it's, you know, we're trying to win and then it flipped, you know, halfway through his two year here where it's okay. Now we're going toward a rebuild. And, you know, I just think, you know, like you know how rebuilds go, right? Like you never know, yeah. like exactly how it's going to go. Uh, I think the Raptors might be answering one very soon. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and once you hit that that reset button, you know, you don't know how yeah. long it's it's going to take. So I think mm-hmm. just everybody sensed it's time to get you know somebody in who can bring a new voice, bring new energy, uh, kind of turn the page on this current chapter. And then I mean Monty Dwayne, obviously similar similar backgrounds, uh, you know, both. Being former coaches of the year, uh, a lot of success at their previous stops. And I think Tom Gores as an owner just trusts experience. Uh, you know, I don't think he wants to necessarily take risks, you know, when you're spending that type of money, uh, you know, with coaches, you I mean, Charles Lee could have been a great coach, right? Kevin Ali could have been a great coach, you know, we won't know. But you have somebody in Monty who's done it. And I think that experience really speaks a lot to this ownership. Like, okay, we know he can do it, so that's just lock
0: this up. Yeah. I think um, to, to me, I, I love the the point that you mentioned about organizational structure when it comes to Casey and having, you know, a, a, not only people that know each other and have relationships, Troy Weaver and Monty Williams, obviously have relationship, you mentioned Casey and Monty, um, C- Stephen Silas being included in this, but I think the the fact that you have this organizational structure now is a huge part of building sustainable success. Uh, I've, I'm not going to keep beating the Raptors bush here, but yeah, at a, at a time, at a moment in time, they had that kind of organizational structure. And then once people start getting poached, you know, there's kind of a brain drain when it comes to the organization, things completely change. Um, when it comes from the on court perspective, and I I would love to get both of your opinions on, on how this kind of works. What do you guys think Monty brings from an on court perspective that could lend a hand to this core, maybe makes things easier. You know, they've the the Pistons, realistically, they've been at the bottom of the offensive and defensive rating stuff uh, for the last couple of seasons. How do you think he can maybe rejuvenate the offense, maybe give life to the defense uh, and get things going from an encore perspective?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know what? I'll say I'll say,
0: I'll say, say <laughs> names first. I'll say names first. Uh, let's go Bryce first. Let's go Bryce yeah. first.
1: Yeah. yeah, I'm really interested with the defensive thing because when I saw the Steven Silas news today, I immediately went like, what's Steven known for? When he got the head job and it was kind of this offensive, innovative guy. And I'm like, okay, well that plays right into Monty, right? With the half second offense where you only hold the ball for half a second and then you dribble, pass or shoot. So my mm-hmm. immediate thought is, who's the next assistant that's going to get hired that runs the defense? So I think the jury's still out on that. I'll just, some quick notes, as I've been watching this S and even Amari and I haven't been able to talk about this yet. Lots of off ball cuts and back doors. Spacing and movement off the ball is really in sync they flow from one action to the next X. Like it's not stagnant. The ball is moving. There's player movement. They go DHO into a ball screen, into a down screen, flare screen on the weak side, you know, yeah. just all of this action happening. And I think that fits personnel well. Like Cade Cunningham, what what is one thing we talk about with Cade? He's malleable. He can do a lot of different things. And he's a high feel type of player, Jalen Duren. I know Amari and I in sync on this. I don't know how you feel about Jalen Duren, but we think he's a good passer, moves the ball well for a big man, like has a good feel for the game. And so those type of players are really going to be successful. And you're talking about two of the three core young guys in this organization. I think Jay Nivey will also be successful He'll have a little bit more growing pains and figuring it out, but I believe in Jaden Ivey's feel. He showed people that he has more than what he got credit for coming out of Purdue. So it just it's a new like Amari. Said, it's a new energy, a new voice to the offense. And if he can get him doing it the way he had that nineteen twenty Suns team doing it, it's going to be a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think if there's one thing we could talk about Detroit's offense in recent years, is it's just felt stagnant. I think something that's personnel yeah. related. You're in a rebuild. You're relying on young players, and they're figuring out what to do uh so you know that's not an indictment on Dwayne. you know i don't know if he was necessarily given a roster yeah, that could yeah. uh you know execute to the extent you needed it to but just to have monty come in and we saw what he did in phoenix uh you know they have a very quick pace you talk about 0.5 offense where you know you're making quick decisions with the ball drive it shoot it pass it but do it quick right you know he obviously is somebody who prioritizes spacing uh, you know, on this roster, you may need a little, a little front office help with all the bigs that half he can't shoot, but you know that's, you know. But we just know philosophy wise, you know, he'll probably lean toward. I believe in Isaiah Livers. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, there you he, go. We, we also believe in Isaiah one that Livers. Can fit there. Yeah,
1: yeah. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, a, it's an Isaiah Livers friendly pod, as Amari likes to say Absolutely. about the Pistons Bulls.
0: Yeah,
2: absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I just think Monty, uh, just the energy he brings in, everybody talks about just how good of a person he is, like obviously the faith he has, the relationships he builds with his players. And I think to come in and you have a young team and you have somebody who's a, a, a teacher, an organizer, um, you know, commands respect and can really just uh, maybe just bring uh, a new edge to this team. Uh, I mean, he has a chance to really come in, especially with K coming back next year. I think he has a chance to come in and really make a pretty big impact uh, yeah. immediately.
0: I think one uh, I was just kind of like looking at some numbers from Monty's Phoenix Suns days, uh, comparing it to before Monty arrived there. And one of the numbers that pops out is assist percentage. You guys mentioned it with sharing the ball, you know, the point five offense and, and how quickly they're making these decisions. But the Pistons are kind of middle of the pack when it comes to assist percentage and and how they're going to kind of dwell out of these actions and move into different things that they do the second sti- side stuff that they do isn't as potent because the ball sticks a little bit more um when it comes to phoenix though and what they did around Monty was hey we're, we're flying we're moving the ball and also on top of that there's going to be something happening on the opposite side of the court weak side there's going to be some kind of shake action something to get another guy open just in case um the 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 question, I guess, I have is with the assist percentage, with passing, with on-ball duties, and all that stuff. There's always going to be the question with with the Pistons and how they're going to manage that with Cade and Ivy, uh, even if they bring back Killian, which I imagine I, I imagine they do. Yeah, yeah, um,
1: for one more year, right, Amari? I mean, he's yeah. at least going to come back. Maybe he would get moved. I I don't know. I guess there's a chance he get moved in the offseason, yeah. but. Yeah, yeah.
0: But but regardless, like there, there's obviously I I, I don't want to say it's a crowded backcourt, but there's obviously going to be responsibilities shared between Kate and Ivy when it comes to handling the ball, um, in Monty's system, so to speak. How do you guys think that translates? Do you think one guy gets the short end of the stick? I know you mentioned Ivy might have some growing pains, but how do you guys kind of look at that that area of things? I
1: actually think it works better. And my thing with Ivy's growing pains was more like just, he's got to be able to make quicker decisions maybe than what, you know, he wasn't, again, it wasn't pegged as a high field guy. I don't know what Amari thinks, like watching this, they're playing Ricky Rubio and this was Ricky Rubio looked good in in this offense with Devin Booker. Or at one point they had campaign yeah. Ricky Rubio, Javon Carter all on the floor at the same time. I'm not saying you're going to do that with Detroit, but I just, because the ball is constantly moving, you don't have Jaden Ivey just standing over in the corner for 12 seconds because either something's going to happen and somebody's going to score or the ball's going to come to that weak side and he's going to get a touch. So I don't know, Amari. I feel like it works better for them as opposed to just, all right, Cage, you go run ball screen for 10 seconds. Jaden, you wait and see if maybe he creates something. I think it'll flow really nice together.
2: I think so too. I think one thing about those Phoenix teams is that a lot of those guards had specific roles you know obviously multiple roles but as you go down the roster and you look at some of the maybe the role playing guards uh he knew how to utilize them correctly where javon carter obviously being a good defender and he was there earlier he was doing a lot of uh you know like pressing and uh you know but you look at Devin booker and chris paul and, yeah, maybe Chris Paul is more of the on-ball between those two, but you look at Devin Booker who could also do a lot of secondary playmaking or even take over his primary guy, you know, when Chris Paul is not in the game. You know, look at Cade Cunningham. He's probably your all-around uh, cerebral uh, do-it-all point guard. You look at Ivy, who I thought showed a lot of on-ball juice last season, probably a lot more than some would have expected, you know, him coming in from Purdue. Uh, but he also showed a lot as a shooter, right, and as a cutter, And you know, he's a, or he's a guy who could push the ball in transition. You know, I think – uh, a hierarchy will play out a probably start with Cade and there will be uh, you know some growing pains as they learn how to play together because they really didn't last year obviously yeah. uh, but I think along with that you know I think if you just look at players and their specific roles and what you want them to do uh, it's it's probably good right like you want the bond case has a little bit more you want Obby to be able to pick and choose the spots and then if he's running the offense for 20 minutes a night like that's cool too Killian Hayes you know obviously he's probably more of like your three and D guard if he can knock down shots, which, you know, he did for a spill last season, but nobody can do defensively. So all these guys will have rows. You know, I think just from a hierarchy standpoint, that was sort of sort of fought pretty well, but it's a good situation to have. I think it's better. You just look at Boston, it's better to have too many guys who could uh, make things happen with the ball than not enough. You know, they make it work with like four or five players who are all maybe one ball guards, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you can never have enough of that creation juice. Like, I, I, I say that as a person who has seen a lot of struggles when it comes to half court creation. And I, I'm, I'm curious where you guys sit on the big man rotation and how that looks between Beef Stew, Duran, maybe even Bagley, whoever they, whoever they end up bringing in with the fifth pick. But how that looks in a system where there is going to be so much read and react. You guys mentioned that Duran is, you know, going to be. He is an improved pass. I think he is a pretty, pretty good short roll decision maker as well. Uh, I could, I could say the same thing about Bagley, although I would be lying if I said I, I knew too much about what Bagley does as a short roll guy. How do you guys feel about those guys as decision makers in an offense that will require him? Re- well, require all three of them essentially to be decision makers.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think Duran's the one you have the most faith in Uh, Mm. Isaiah Stewart, Amari, I feel like we starting to get there a little bit, you know, like he started to play more on the perimeter this last season. He had his season cut short a little bit as well. The three point shooting with Isaiah Stewart would be good just to space but I think he's a guy that could grow into like, hey, here's a DHO and keep the ball moving. But Wiseman is the one I'm really nervous about is like, I just don't know S man. Like he's the one Mm -hmm. where I'm, I'm nervous. Like how fast is he going to be able to make these decisions? Is he gonna be able to stay up with the flow of the offense? This was the issue in golden state, right? Like golden state is this move the ball, set a screen, DHO pin down, zoom, just one thing into the next. And I don't know, Omari, maybe I'm overdoing it, but I feel like Wiseman kind of wanted to just go post up ISO on the block. And I just don't think that that's something that's really going to be a part of this. So I am I guess to say, Dern's the one I'm most confident in. I think Stewart can get there. Bagley, maybe. It, it, there's a chance. I'm, I'm pretty nervous about James Wiseman um, with this. And that was just off the sample we saw last year, though. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Yeah, I think Duren probably has the most upside just because he has a natural, uh, he, he naturally is somebody who thinks within the scheme of like all five players and not just himself. Like we just saw some pass, passing flashes last season where he's the youngest player in the NBA and he's doing this now. It's like, okay, like maybe three, four years from now, he really is somebody who could be almost like a hub, right? Like you can trust him to do like short roll yeah. or whatever else. Like I think he even toss some lobs to, you know, wise me towards Like he was doing a lot of stuff. And it really bodes well for a motion-based offense. Isaiah Stewart, uh, maybe the playmaking wasn't quite there, but he had a want to. Uh, he was clearly aware and was trying to figure out, okay, like I'm getting some respect as a three-point shooter, so I'm to close out so I can take the ball and go in. And he tried to toss some laughs to Durant or Wiseman here and there. Uh, you see some of that developing with him where I think long-term he'll be okay. Uh, yeah, I think I agree with Wiseman to an extent. And out of fairness too, Wiseman, I don't know if he ever had the structure around him in trade last season to where he was like not the primary option. I mean, they were playing like a lot of like 10 date to guys toward the end and like in the bench, you know, as they were getting a position for the
1: the uh, Wimby
2: sweepstakes. <laughs> and that kind of coincided with uh, the Wiseman trade where I think him and Isaiah Stewart might've only really played seven to eight games before Isaiah was out for the year. And uh, he didn't play with Kate at all. Obviously, uh, you know, like your mm-hmm. primary playmaker is Ivy who, I mean, he showed like a lot, but he's still a rookie and, you know, set up making all the reads he needs to make. So I don't know if Wiseman ever was really in the environment he needed to be in to where the best option wasn't just give him the ball and let him post up for eight seconds. Or... But we did see a lot of that as well. And, you know, Golden State, you know, just saw the reporting on that. They kind of called on him because they have that read and react offense and he just wasn't reading and reacting to the extent that they needed him to. So obviously still young, he can figure it out, but definitely a question mark.
0: Out of all the players that we've mentioned, who I may be most fascinated about and probably who you guys are most fascinated about as well. The guy who was the best prospect prospect in the world, not a couple of, yeah, two years ago, literally Cade Cunningham. Uh, and I, I think, I think Monty can open up a lot for him as an off ball guy. Cade is such a great situational awareness guy. He's always going to make the right reads, always going to make the right decisions. I think getting him to be more of an off-ball player, to be, you know, he can be that guy in the corner that's going to make the decision. He can also be a screener, a cutter, someone who can move off-ball, make good decisions on the go. I feel like bringing Monty is as much about instilling a new vibe in the locker room as it is maybe tapping into some untapped potential with Cade. Uh, I think you know, you mentioned with Ivy, but I really think it might be seamless with Ivy with how quick of a decision maker he can be at times. Yeah, sure. The turnovers might go up, like he might make some bad reads and bad decisions. But in terms of the processing speed, it's so quick between Ivy and Cade that I feel like it'll be seamless. But I also wonder how much untapped potential there is with Cade as an off-ball guy. And maybe Monty's a guy who can incorporate that more often do you guys agree with that do you guys think that that's that's an area where kate is going to be showing off a little bit here in the next couple of years
1: well i'll just say one of my knocks on coach casey and i love coach casey and i thought he did a tremendous job for the organization was i, I was always begging for more creativity right and so that speaks to what you're talking about so i'm thinking about this as i'm watching these Suns games and they're using devin booker in spain pick and roll but not as the original ball handler S. and Omari, mm-hmm. they're using Devin Booker as the fill guy to the top of the key after the action has already happened. Or they're starting him here, setting a screen, then he's getting a flare screen. I've always right. said, you know, how are you going to start? Let's run some Jaden Ivy, Cade Cunningham ball screens and let Cade come. You want to trap Jaden Ivy in that situation? Good. We'll short roll pass to Cade Cunningham. And now you have Cade Cunningham playing four on three. And so to your point, yes, I do think he could untap some things where I just, I personally felt like the offense, we talked about it, was a little stagnant lacked a little creativity and that's where like let's put jayden ivy killian and kate on the floor together and let's find a way to make it work and because that's three pretty good offensive players in terms of feel and passing and keeping the ball moving and so yeah i don't know how amari feels but i do feel like it could we could see some interesting things they have a roster that has a little bit of versatility where you could have some fun with those things
2: yeah, I think so. I mean, to think about Cade, and we talked about it, is that he does everything, at least at a baseline, pretty good level. And in a sense, it could be good for him just to not have to do as much on-ball stuff. I mean, he's six six with a 7-foot wingspan. Um, you know, most rookies are not consistently good defenders, but we definitely saw the 1-2 from him, and he made some really clutch plays, yes. whether it was just timely rotations for blocks, you know, and key wins or whatever else. Like, he could do all that stuff. Um, so, I think you want to build a roster where you don't have to ask your best players to do everything, right? Like, this guy could take some pressure off of him. That guy could take some pressure off of him. And, of him. and mm-hmm. he will, he's worked at his shooting. I know he's worked on the shooting a lot, you know, uh, while he's been recovering from his surgery. And we could see a pretty a leap from him in that area. Ivy, the, I mean, just the gravity he generates going downhill. I mean, he was just getting guys wide it's gonna open. It's going to create a lot of open looks, season. man.
0: Going to create yeah, a lot man. of open looks that way. Yeah.
2: And I'm sure Kay is looking at that, like, okay, like Ivy can make my job a lot easier. And he even talked about that a yeah. lot, uh, you know, last season before he got hurt. Like Jaden can make my life easy because mm-hmm. he can do things Kay can't if there's one thing Kay's not is super athletic, right? Like he's not a guy, like he still is gonna attract a lot of attention, but he's not like this blazing fast player. Uh, so you the like pieces around him are gonna fill in the gaps. So I think it'll I think it'll be good for him. It'll be good for him.
0: Uh, all this being said, I think a huge make or break factor with Cade is going to be the shooting. You mentioned yep. it with with the improvement yeah. there. But if they're going to be playing him off ball more, defenses are going to have to trust that he's or or maybe not trust that he's going to hit these shots. How confident do you guys feel in that? I mean, it's hard to say, given the fact that he missed the season. But where are you guys in general with your expectations of what Cade can be as a player um, I, I don't know. I follow a few people from Pistons Twitter and it seems like there's, there's a, a sliding scale of what people still believe and still don't when it comes to Cade. How are you guys trying to feel out what this team is centered around a guy like that? And obviously Ivy as well, but mostly I think, Cade. I, what, I think he's what, still what face
1: of the franchise type player S like I, I haven't wavered on that. I have even more faith knowing what he was playing through And Amari can maybe speak to this a little bit more and how long this injury was, had been bothering him. I have no doubts that he's going to come back and shoot the ball well from three. I think this injury, you know, imagine the pain he had in his shin. Every time he jumped in his mid range, he was really good. And then from three, you know what he did? He missed short a lot. Well, know why you miss short? Because you don't get your legs into it. And if you, if it hurts, if it's a splitting pain up your shin every time you jump to shoot, well, that's yeah. going to cause you to miss short a little bit. He has yeah. a track record of being a good shooter. And I will say this, Amari touched on it. Jaden Ivey was a really good unguarded catch-and-shoot three-point shooter this past mm. season. Now it's like, you know, you want to be able to make some of the other stuff, but if he can just make the unguarded ones, that that's, that's pretty good off-ball value. So long-winded, but my answer is I still think he's a face of the franchise-type player, and I am in full belief of what he can be as a three-point shooter.
2: Yeah, I agree with Bryce 100%, and I would say just because he was playing through pain through most of his rookie year, and then also, you know, what eventually shut him down last season, we haven't really seen him fully healthy. Uh, Like, a lot of rookies, he also just wasn't really in full NBA condition, uh, you know, his, his rookie season, where he would wear down at the end of games and still had a lot of clutch moments, but Sometimes you just see guys do things that are just unnatural for you know a player like as young as they are. And K did a lot of stuff. He just had he played for a lot of poise, made a lot of big plays. Uh, just had to command of the moment in you know, those situations that leads me to believe that even if he isn't ends up not quite being like that f- true franchise number one. Like at at minimum, he's like a, a number two. And I really do think he could get to like a Jimmy Butler like level. And we've seen what Jimmy's doing in the playoffs right now, where he could just Play rise to the moment. Like he's not gonna be Kate may not be scoring thirty-one a night, but just his overall command of the game. You can look at like what Tyrese Halliburton's doing in Indiana right now, like I think absolutely I admit him he could be that tier of player. I haven't seen anything that's kind of shaking me from that belief.
1: Real quick, I like I just I wanna point out like he came in as a rookie and was the man. He took it over from anybody else in the organization. You could see the maturity. You could see the confidence. You could see how everybody else looked up to him. And he's been mature his whole life. You think about the teams he's played for and where he's played. And everybody you talk to, Cade was the alpha. Cade was the alpha at Montverde. Cade was the alpha at Oklahoma State and then he came in as a rookie and I realized the Pistons weren't any good I get it I know what people are going to say he was the alpha on a professional basketball team with grown men and to me that means something so I believe in as Omari touched on it the intangibles who he is off the floor who he was on the bench this year when he was injured I believe in all of that stuff just as much as I believe in his on the court game I've said they may if they win a championship someday I hope they do it may not be Cade with the guy that scores the most points, but he still may be the face of the franchise guy, if that makes sense. He may not yeah. average 30, but he's the dude, and right. I just think he has those kind of intangibles.
0: I uh, I love that you guys are Cade believers. I, I mean, when he came back in his rookie season, um, I think after the All-Star break, you guys yep. were nearly 500 uh him and jeremy grant finally
1: played together Mm -hmm. yeah
0: exactly and i i think that inspires a lot of confidence in what i see moving forward i made a video back then saying oh the pistons are next up next season pistons are gonna you know be that team coming out uh and maybe making a play in uh, playing spot who knows obviously that didn't happen uh but maybe there's hopes that next season that's what you guys can aspire towards you mentioned earlier what uh what monty you know kind of brought when it came to phoenix and going from 17 wins to 33 or whatever it was um i think there are a couple of other teams who are expected to make that jump the orlando magic are a team that is on everybody's radar the oklahoma city thunder we just saw them in the play and some people expect them to make that jump um do you guys think given the monty hire given you know they spent a lot of money on that obviously there seems to be uh there's a willingness I would say from Pistons ownership to spend that money also you have cap space you have the fifth pick there are a lot of ways for the Pistons to move this summer and be aggressive do you guys think next year we see a potential play in Pistons team yes no maybe so what do you guys think
2: Ask me again after three years. No, you know I, yeah, I think they could, I think, I think they will be on the doorstep. I think they will be in like that Indiana uh, Orlando range last season where they, you know, get to like yeah. 30 wins and it's like, okay, maybe we're like one or two guys away, but clearly we have a core that could compete and win games. And that's where they were this time last year. Of course, Kate got hurt and that kind of set things back another year, but I mean, again, you have Kay, you have Jaden Ivey, you have, uh, you know, Duran, you have all these young guys who are going to be better next year. You have 30 billion in cap space, fifth overall pick, who, yeah, I mean, it's not top three in this draft, but you can look at any draft and see that the fifth pick still typically is a very good one. Mm-hmm. And they should have enough to win, right? You should have enough to at least compete every single night. And I could see, I could get behind like 34, 35 wins, I think, for this group. I mean, you're going to need some luck you probably haven't had, especially from an injury standpoint, but. You know, just from like an overall, just looking at the group, uh, expecting players to make a leap forward. Uh, I mean, they're, they're not going to do 17 again, obviously. I think even if last right, year yeah. they compete all the way down and don't wind guys down toward the end, you're probably getting to like 24, 25 maybe. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I think we could see a much improved team next year for sure. And I think maybe you're on the doorstep of the plan. I don't know if they get quite in, but you should be in a conversation by the end of the year.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think 30s, 30s are the, the number probably right now. That's probably to be the best over under for the, the fan base. Uh, Amari brought up a good point, though. It kind of depends who they draft at number five. I think Amari and I would agree, even if we don't always agree exactly on who we think they should take, I think we agree on what each player would bring in year one. I think yeah. if you draft a Min Thompson, I don't know that that translates as to as many wins this next season as Jarris Walker, or even what we believe Cam Whitmore is, or even Taylor Hendricks or Anthony black. I think it also depends on what they do in free agency S do they go spend $30 million on Jeremy grant? Well, you're going to win more games next year. If you've signed Jeremy grant, as opposed to do you use that $30 million on a sin contract for future assets? You know, so how aggressive are they to win next year? How passive or patient are they to maybe, you spend that money for one year to bring in somebody and push them the cap space down the road. So there truly are some different avenues. So to Amari's, and I know he was joking, but to his initial point, it does depend a little bit where the front office wants to take this.
0: Yeah, I know. I I can, I can agree with that. I, you guys brought up an interesting point and I guess I'll bring it up now. Fifth pick. Is it keeping it? Or moving it? Because there has been some rumors. There has been some, you know, reports, if you will, that the Pistons might move that fifth overall pick for something that can help them win next season, maybe be more competitive next season. Where do you guys sit on that? Omari, I guess I'll, I'll start with you.
2: Yeah, I would keep it. Uh, you know, I just, I'll look at players you could probably trade for. And a lot of the guys are, you know, players who are really good, would definitely make you better next season, but then are in line to get paid in 2024 you know and then you're just kind of ramping up the timeline for this rebuild and uh, you know, just from a team standpoint, I look at Monty Williams' deal where they locked him in for up to eight years, and that tells me they're not trying to speed this process at all. They're going to see it through. But me personally, I would I would keep the fifth pick. Like, there are a lot of players in that range that I like. Uh, you know, I mean, you have Ken Whitmore, Jairus Walker, Taylor Hendricks, like Anthony Black. Like, all these guys are, you know, players you can easily talk me into. Like, yeah, this is, I can win games with this player, and they're going to uh, play some important roles for me. Uh, is there a trade that you could talk me into for number five? Probably. But of all the ones I think are realistic right now, uh, I, I just think training the fifth pick for somebody you're going to have to pay big money in a year, you know, probably just puts you in a spot you don't need to be in.
0: Sure. Yeah. Let's get into it. Um, We talked about OG Ananobi as a potential, you know, moving piece, if you will, for the fifth overall pick. Uh, we, we kind of had shifted on what the details of the trade would be, yep. but I guess that would be the bulk of what the, 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 the trade is right. Omar, where would you sit on that? Cause I know he's a guy who's going to be ready for a payday in 2024 as well. So I feel like that's who you were hinting at maybe, but I don't know.
1: Yeah. So the, the hard yeah, one with I, that though, is Omar, you talked about, he's going to have to get paid. And that's one thing I've missed yeah. whenever I bring up his name. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I, I think on paper, OG uh, is like perfect for the pistons, right? Like, I mean, he's a one through five defender and he can shoot the ball. Like he's everything the pistons want. You know, I think again, like he gets paid, and it he's going to be it, will he be unrestricted in 2024?
0: Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and that's just like I'm just automatically out. I mean, you get up to 50 for a guy who <laughs> just leaves next season. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. I've never just hey, keep my cap space and, and try to Amari sign him. he
0: doesn't know? believe there, that
1: tampering actually happens. So <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, it, it, a relationship it, it, it happens. Blankacy. You could be tampered
2: for, or tampered against. You know. listen all i'm saying is there's there's a
0: relationship there you know like there's there's a the obviously like the Dwayne casey relationship there's uh a relationship with what og is i just i don't know i'm not saying i would even from a raptors perspective i'm not sure they would be sold on it either because they look at og as a core piece but in terms of of three and D guys wings, you know, obviously that's something that you guys are, are looking to tap into, whether it be on the open market, whether it be via trade, that's the type of player that you're trying to surround a Cade and Ivy, a Duran in front of, right. Um, I'm just, yeah, I I guess that I'm not sure who else is out there on the open market that could potentially be that guy. you know, I've heard some like Dylan Brooks stuff as as far as a free agent signing, but he doesn't really have the three. The D is there, you know, the defensive side of things is there, but you you're kind of relying uh, on him making his shots on a on a night to night basis. And I'm not sure if that's like what you guys are interested in signing a Dylan Brooks, you know? Well, I, I would just
1: to the trade thing with number five, yeah. I think a, part of it is Omari and I both whether we've sold ourselves because they have the fifth pick or whatever. I think we've talked to ourselves into kind of believing in some of these guys. I, I feel like Jairus Walker and Cam Whitmore are two guys we both probably agree on. And then we're probably a little bit separated on Amin Thompson. But I think mm-hmm. we would agree that Amin has pretty high ceiling. It's just whether or not the Pistons are willing or should be taking a chance on a guy that's been hard to evaluate and you just don't know. But the the uh, the upside is there. But, I mean, I think I would walk away. And if the Pistons took Jairus Walker, I'd be like, man, I really like this front court of Jairus, Isaiah Stewart, Jalen Duren. He fits Marty Williams. He can defend. Cam Whitmore is a little bit of like there's a low floor of just a 3 and D guy, but a higher ceiling if he can figure out some of the feel stuff. So I think it speaks to, man, there's some guys here that are going to be good basketball players, and that's okay, especially if you believe in Cade, Ivy, and Dern and what they can become.
0: Yeah. Brandon yeah. Miller would have been w- perfect for y'all, man. I'm just yeah, saying, I'm just yeah. thinking about it now, but Brandon Miller would have been ideal. Sorry, go ahead, Amar.
2: No, I was gonna say, you know, maybe he falls. There's a you know, there's an outside chance for how these interviews yeah. go. Uh, you know, if I were if I were Boston, if I were if if I were the Grizzlies, for example, I think the Grizzlies are a team that could that would trade for OG because they have assets to spare. And, you know, they clearly just need to make a swing and get, you know, a player in who could just increase the overall floor. You know, they've been a really good regular season team. They haven't made a lot of noise in the playoffs yet. Uh, you know, if I were coming off of like a 51 season, like I already had, you know, an all-star, like, you know, the fifth player of the year. Like I already have a lot of proven talent and I think I could, I could win a championship. Okay. I could probably mortgage the future a little bit and go for a guy like OG. If I'm the Pistons, I'm coming off a 17 win season and I'm getting up to fifth pick for a guy who could leave in a year.
0: Yeah, that's tough. Yeah, you better have to my shoulders
2: a little bit to get behind that one. I don't
0: know. <laughs> All right, so I, I, wanted to, I wanted to bring this aspect up uh, because I feel like this is a perfect time to bring up this conversation. It's a more general conversation about coaching and the impact of coaching in professional sports, professional basketball. Uh, I ask a lot of people this question because I'm very curious about it. Um, when it comes to coaching in general, even outside of the Pistons situation, how much do you guys think it matters for the on-court product in terms of the outcomes of a professional basketball team. I, I don't mean that in the sense that like, obviously, Monty Williams is a great coach. He's probably going to get these guys to play at a different level. But I mean, in terms of how much there is a a genuine factor, what your coach is doing that impacts the game. I feel like every time we talk about uh, a, a coach getting fired, it's like, oh, he's the scapegoat. And then every time a coach, every time a coach does something wonderful, he's the guy who gets all the credit. So I, I'm curious to see where you guys land on this. Like, do you guys think there's a massive impact in a change in coaching, or a, a smaller impact at the professional level?
1: I think the change is what we've talked about, where there's just a different voice. I think we've all been part of an organization or a team or whatever where you just felt like things had gone stagnant, and it was time for a new energy to come in. Mm -hmm. In terms of what's actually on the court, I think you put this in the notes. I was talking to Matt Issa the other day. A lot of NBA teams run the same stuff, right? They run the same same. sets. And so it's... Amari and I agree on this. I'm pretty sure. I don't mean to put words in his mouth, but I feel like we defended Coach Casey a lot because Coach Casey got blamed so much for the lack of development of the young players. And we're like, it's on these dudes to get better. Like, yes, is there better context? Mm -hmm. Is there better fits? Yes, there could be. But It's on you to get better. It's on you to improve your jump shot. You're a professional athlete. You get paid to do this as your full-time job. And so as a former Division I basketball player, I I still feel comfortable putting a lot of the responsibility on the players. I will also Mm -hmm. say this, because I'm not sure every fan gets a chance to see this. If you go to a game, go early sometime. Watch who's working these guys out in the pregame. It's not the head coach. It's, a head, it's assistant coaches. It's the, the next level of guys. Like, those – I never once saw – and this isn't a knock on Coach Casey. I never saw Coach Casey working out Jay Nivey before the game. I never – whenever I went to the Pistons Heat game, it wasn't Spo out there working out Jimmy Butler before the yeah. game. It's yeah. the assistants in those guys with the development. So, I, I just – It's important. There is a huge – and here's the other thing. There's an aspect of this we don't see. Even Amari doesn't get to see. Amari doesn't get to watch as a beat writer and more access than any of us. Doesn't get to watch the pregame conversations. He doesn't sit in the one-on-one meeting between Monty Williams and Cade Cunningham. We don't even watch practices. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You don't even get to watch practices. We don't even watch
2: practices, yeah.
1: You just got back in the locker room this year, and at that point, the coaches are gone and the the players are just changing pretty much at that point. So, like, it's just – that's the aspect of coaching that I think is important and impactful, and we have no clue, we have no idea what's going on with some of that stuff.
2: Yeah, I think coaching a lot of it is like X's and O's and on the floor, but a lot of it is also just running a clean operation, and bringing in the right assistants, the yeah, right yeah. player development coaches, uh, just getting the buy-in right, getting everybody to believe that they can do something, and then also understanding your players, understanding which you know buttons to push, and uh, you know you can be hard on, you can't all that stuff. There's a lot of nuance that's not just. X's and those. And quite frankly, I think, you know, the full impact of coaching doesn't always show up in the win loss record as well. You know, I think that's true for Dwayne Casey the past three years where, yeah. you know, you have a new front office come in and they built through the draft. You know, how we get emails from people sometimes who are like, why is Dwayne not catching more heat for putting, for coaching another, you know, sub 25 win team? And I'm like, my man, they're building through the draft. That's not Dwayne's <laughs> fault. You know, and it's also not Dwayne's fault. They lost 24 in the last 26 this past season because they were, uh you know playing ten, 10 day guys 35 minutes a night like yeah. some stuff is just kind of beyond you but you know i will say as far as Monty, he's coming in i think from an organizational standpoint this was the perfect time to make a coaching change because you already have done a lot of the dirty work like right like you've gotten past the blake griffin there you got got the dead money off the books uh you have a young core you have cap space you have the fifth overall pick and this team is hungry and ready to win uh, you know, so now whatever strides you make, the table's been set. You know, now Monty gets to come in and just coach. You know, he doesn't have to, you know, worry about, you know, star player getting traded eight games into the year. That's happened to, you know, Steven Silas, who they hired as elite assistant today. Uh, but there's a lot of things outside of the coach's uh, con- control that could kind of screw him in the end. And Monty doesn't have to do with any of that. So he really does come into a very clean situation where it's nothing but upside from here. Like they're not, I mean, 17 wins is, is bottoming out, right? I mean, I think some yeah. of that, you know, just getting healthy. Just getting K back alone is going to help them a lot um next season. So Monty, I mean, you won't hear a bad thing about him. Great coach. We saw what he did in New Orleans, saw what he did in Phoenix. Uh, you know, obviously the right man for this job. But a lot of the you know, games on back next season, uh, you know, you could credit him, but you could also discredit the situation improving and just naturally lending, his, lending itself to winning more games than last season.
0: It's a big black box. That's what coaching is, in my opinion. I mean, at least from a fan perspective, uh, it's like you said, Bryce, it is so hard to peer in and really understand what a head coach does. Uh, The minutia, the little relationships, the things that you have to develop that people don't see even beat writers, you know, like you mentioned, like even they they can't see it that well. So like, I I think it there's there's a level of we will see how coaching goes. I think it's, it's a results based. Process you have to see at the end of the fact versus before the fact. Uh, when it comes to Monty, I think in a lot of ways I'm not I'm not going to say to the same level, but you can see a change similar to what Mike Brown's effect was in Sacramento in the sense that you needed a new voice, you needed something to rejuvenate the culture of the team, the organizational structure of the team. I think that's a big aspect of it. Um, I I am again like I I've reiterated this throughout the podcast, but I'm excited to see what the Pistons do next season, especially in the off season, how they can rebuild, how they can, you know, fine tune this team to work around Cade and Ivy. It's going to be very interesting, ladies and gentlemen, anything else you guys have to add before we head out of here uh, and, and finish off our Pistons talk for the month.
1: No, my guess is for a 17 win team and the Detroit Pistons, that's probably all your listener (laughs) base is going to want. You know, you got that more general NBA fan base. Yeah, Yeah. The, Hopefully this was enough. That Hopefully they got a little bit of interest into this. But yeah, um, my guess is this is uh, probably all they're really going to want uh, to hear right now about the Detroit Pistons.
0: Look, I am yeah. ready whenever hey. you guys are down yeah. to talk about Isaiah Livers. <laughs> uh, when y'all are you know what I mean? I'm here. We could do a full pot. Anyway, sorry. Omari, go ahead. I interrupted. No, I was just going <laughs> to
2: say, I'm just, I'm just happy the coaching search is done and now we can talk, Yes, you know, actual ball and not, you know, debate. You know, a lot of unknowns, right? Because nobody actually knows if a coach will be good or not. So, you know, now Mm -hmm. we can get to the draft in a few weeks and free agency and all that. And this is the, uh, this is like the real part of the offseason, right? Like the next month going into summer league where all the magic happens. So, uh, yeah, you know, I hope the listeners learn a lot about the Pistons. And, you know, I think they will be a fun (laughs) team next year. Uh, You know, depending on which way the, the Raptors go. You know, maybe that'll be you know the the team you watch. You know, when you're frustrated with your home team, right? You know, I know a lot yeah. of you know Lions fans who are watching the Packers because they're the closest team. So you know, maybe we could be the go to state. I mean, the Toronto Raptors, uh, Packers, right? So I, I will
0: say, Little Caesars Arena is a much better arena than Scotiabank Arena. I will put that on <laughs> wax on everything. I I'm telling you, I have seen it firsthand. Uh, it's a much better arena. Uh, look i'll just say this too
2: more raptors fans yeah. if we're talking road oh, teams More raptors fans i've been in the lca than any other team oh, yeah. so the least you can oh, do yeah, is actually yeah, learn a little bit yeah. about the the, <laughs> the team that plays in that arena right, That's what you're, right. you're
0: right you're right you're right You're
1: um and s summer league book the trip hotels got flights get it done i got done. you
0: i got you hey listen uh producers executives the people listening to this podcast y'all listen it's on y'all now the ball is in your court you guys to, have
1: to... to send s it's great <laughs> for networking damn right you know amari's podcast started at summer league you meet potential guests all of that stuff it will be great for the podcast you guys gotta yeah. send i don't even know who. hopefully they'll let me back on after this little rant <laughs> you gotta send yeah. s and lauren both to summer league let them experience it and do their thing
0: send robert right. too he's doing all this work behind the scenes that's right that's right robert gets a free trip to vegas let's go <laughs> Uh, no, we'll, we'll figure it out, man. And Hey, if we end up coming, uh, I'll definitely come in and, and greet and say what up to y'all. No uh, appreciate you guys. Listen to Pistons Pulse. Anything else you guys want to tap into plug or anything before we head out of here?
1: Uh, the only thing I have is I also do stuff at draft digest. Um, so if you're into draft stuff over there, we're kind of affiliate of sports illustrated. Sorry, my phone's going off. Um, so draft digest NBA draft content this time of year, we feel like we're doing some good stuff over there. So if you want to check that out, you guys can as well.
2: Cool. Yeah. I mean, support Bryce. He is a basketball mind. I mean, he like really puts a lot into this, this scouting and check it out. Read draft digest support Bryce. You know, I do my work at the Detroit free press, you know, where I'm covering the, the team full time, obviously. So you know, if you want to support local news, you want to Detroit local news, subscribe to the Detroit free press.
0: Hell yeah. All right, cool. Thank you very much for listening to the objective basketball podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we appreciate you guys as always do the subscribing, the tweeting, the, whatever you guys do to share this podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, next time we will be back. Hopefully with Lauren, we'll talk about, you know, the NBA finals and everything that happens there. Appreciate you guys. Follow hosts at just S Barahini on all socials and at the Lauren gun on Twitter, the objective basketball podcast, delivering the NBA to you like no other.